Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us. I have a special guest and friend in the studio with me today, Steve Ray, who's been a guest with us before. Steve, welcome again to Faith and Family. Well, thank you, Steve. I love what you're doing and love to be a part of it. I'm glad my daughter lives down here so I could join you. Well, we hope to get you in the studio more <laughs> often then. Uh, great. It's great to have you here. Well, we chatted before we came on the air, like what direction are we going to go? A lot of directions we could go, but there's probably one chief concern that I would imagine 90, way over 90% of parents and grandparents have right now with the state of our culture, a lot of craziness by people and leaders in the church, uh, the social media problems and the just the craziness that's going on. Parents and grandparents are concerned with their children in this culture Will they stick or will they fall away when they hit those late teen years and adolescence? And uh, I'll, I'll just say it on the air. You're not a perfect father, nor am I. There's only one perfect father. He's the one in heaven. But we've done a halfway decent job of raising our kids to keep the faith. And I thought that's what we should just share, some yep. practical things yep that parents can take. And I think that's what's really needed too. It's not the real high and mighty theory or everything that's wrong. We know what's wrong, what's right, what do we do? And so I'm just gonna toss the ball in your court. How, how about kicking it off? What, what important thing did you do that you think helped your kids stay on the straight and narrow? Well, I agree with you completely. That is the big concern out of all the topics that I get when I go out and do conferences and men's groups and so on is what do we do about my kids? What do we do about that falling away? And the statistics are that the majority of them are going to leave the faith by the time they get out of college. The colleges are taking the kids out of the faith. And it's not necessarily taking them to another faith like Protestant or something, but they're just becoming secular. They've come to the conclusion that God doesn't exist, and if he does, he's irrelevant. Because that's what you see in the movies. That's what you see everywhere. God is irrelevant. He's not um, part of our culture anymore. Science has eliminated him. Pretty much. That's the theory. Well, the fact is, when I and my wife got married, we were evangelical Protestants. We weren't Catholics. But we had two a business plan with two points. We wrote out a business plan. Number one. Excellent. We you were, actually wrote down your parenting yes, plan. Yes, we did. Okay. We, would you suggest other parents just oh, whatever absolutely. it is? Okay. Okay. But it was a very simple one. It's developed more as time went on, but it All started right. out very simple. That we were going to prove to the world that a man and a woman could love each other and stay married for a lifetime with Jesus Christ at the center of our relationship. Second of all, we were going to prove that you could raise kids to do the same. And we are going to do everything that we could to raise our kids to love Jesus and put him first in their life. And I, we made up our mind that we were going to be not employers or employees or Americans. That was not our primary identity. Our primary identity was we were Christians. We were disciples of Jesus Christ. So all through my life when people said, well, well what are you? They mean, are you, what do you do for a living? I'd always say, well, I'm a Christian. 
<laughs> now I say I'm a Catholic. And they say, well, I didn't, I mean, what do you do? I said, oh, what I do is something very different than what I am. I am a Catholic primarily, and everything else flows from that, that what I do to make money is in order to enable me to live the Christian life and to raise a family. If families have that attitude, I think it's going to make a big difference. If your attitude is I'm just going to try to make a lot of money and be a successful American and be a businessman, um, you may end up being that, but that is not my primary goal. My primary goal was to be a Christian and to raise my kids in the faith so that it would be enduring. And I knew in our culture, and in, and back in those days, it wasn't anything what it is now. But even back in that time, I knew that we had to raise rebels. And I even give a talk called Raising Rebels. People said, you shouldn't raise rebels. Yes, I can, because I know that our culture, Jesus was a rebel. He was a rebel against sin and against evil and against the corruption in his time. And I had to, we had to raise a family to be rebels also against the culture of death, to stand strong. I remember when my son at 16 said, Dad, I think I'm going to get a tattoo and, an, and a ring in my ear. I said, no, you're not, not in my house. But I said, why would you want to do that? He says, to be different. And I said, Jesse, I said, if you want to, everybody's getting tattoos and rings, earrings and stuff. I said, so you just want to be different by being like everyone else? Let me give you a challenge, Jesse. I said, if you want to be different, be an authentic Catholic, and you're going to stand out better more than anybody else. And he took me up on it. That's interesting. There's a couple of things I like to pick up on what you said, Will. And the first is sometimes it's overlooked in that you wanted to have a solid, lasting marriage with Janet, because that's the foundation of building a family. And as I was sharing with you, when I had a conversion experience, I didn't really know how it all applied to family life, but I got involved in youth ministry. And because of youth ministry, I would say everything I've done in my adult life, including a Protestant pastor with an emphasis on family life and then starting the Family Life Center, is a result of what I saw in youth ministry, that good kids have a very, very difficult time if their Christian parents divorce. Uh, absolutely. And so I knew I wanted to try to help as much as I can married couples, because believe it or not, even though I'm an old guy, <laughs> I still see myself very much as a youth pastor, and the best thing I can do as a youth pastor is help marriages. And so, and yep. you wrote that down yep. because in any kind of uh, corporate life or business yep. life, if you don't have any kind of plan, yep. you don't have any plan. Yep. You know, you you commit to it. And and my kids got married young. All four of them got married young in their early 20s. And I asked them, why did you guys all decide to get married so young? And they said, Dad, we saw how much fun you and Mom had together, and we wanted to get that as soon as we could. I took that as a real badge of honor that my wife and I had lived up to that goal we had set from the beginning, that we loved each other, we enjoyed being together. And I always viewed our family in two different ways. Number one, as a masterpiece of art. When a, when Michelangelo or Rembrandt started out with the paintbrush and the oil, it was going to be a masterpiece, and it took a lot of time to do it. If they made a mistake, they went back and fixed it. But I viewed our family, and I always told my kids from the beginning, this is a big piece of art that we have. It's going to be a masterpiece. Someday it's going to be hanging up in the hall of heaven, and I want God to take people over and point to that and say, that's the way it was supposed to be. That's the way I wanted it to be. I said, that's what our family is going to be. I want our family to be that model. I want it 
to be a great work of art and we're going to make mistakes, but when we do, we're going to go back and fix it and don't do anything to get painted out of that masterpiece. And I also then said we're a club. We're a unique club. And I think if, if Catholic families do this and make it not just that we go to church together, but we are a club and you can't join this club. You only can get born into this club. And you kids are really lucky to be a part of this club. Don't do anything stupid to get kicked out of this club. And, you know, the kids love that idea mm -hmm. of being in the club and being a special family unit and has fun together and does things and traditions together. If we do more of that, I think, instead of being so involved in careers and entertainment and going on cruises or whatever else people do, but be more intent. My dad never had much money. I'll tell you this real quick. My dad never had much money. We had a very simple life. Never went on vacation. Never had a steak when I was a kid. I never remember having steak and lobster. And I asked my dad once, why did you have the same job for 35 years at Ford Motor Company? You never got promoted, Dad. Why did you not make more money? He said, well, he said, every time they called me in and said, Charlie, we're going to give you a promotion, I always asked him a question. Will that promotion require that I work weekends and evenings? And they said, of course. And he said, then I have to turn you down because my, I have three sons at home that need me more than Henry Ford does. My dad set the standard for me of what a family was. A family was mom and dad being home, taking care of the kids, not making the career the main point of their life, but making the family the most important thing. And my dad was a convert to being a Baptist back then. And he said, Jesus Christ is the head of our home, and we're, I'm going to make my boys more important than my career. And that's why I am who I am. And that was my goal then in raising my kids to do the same, to put my family and Jesus Christ first. And if you do that, you're going to have better success than if you don't. Wow. You know, your dad reminds me of James Dobson because that's – remember, he, he got real popular yeah. after he wrote Dare to Discipline yep. and started traveling anywhere. His dad just kind of tapped him on the shoulder and said, you know, your real ministry is at home and yep. focus on your family. And so your dad gave you that inheritance. He did. And I'll dare say – uh, the Rembrandt is coming along pretty well because you have a picture in your pocket that you showed me, <laughs> and that's a really beautiful thing. It Besides is. you and Janet, what, what's the crew of grandchildren up to now? Nineteen. Okay. And when I give conferences and talks, people say, Steve Ray, he wrote these books. He leads pilgrimages. He does this and that, made make movies on this Bible and so on. And, I, and then I say, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm guilty of all of those things you just mentioned. But I said the thing I'm proudest of so I've been married to the same woman for 46 years, and I love her more now than I did when I married her. I've got four great kids and 19 grandkids that all love the Lord. That's what I'm the proudest of. That's my, my magnum opus is my family. The picture I showed you is all of us here in, in Greenville out in the woods, and we had a professional photographer took pictures of our family all in the different groups and mom and grandpa and grandma smiling at each other with all the kids smiling behind us. Excellent. Steve, you actually led the way, and it took me quite a few years to catch up to you, but I initially viewed apologetics the way conference organizers <laughs> asked me to present, and that's basically presenting Catholic truth in a way that put evangelicals down. Right. Combative. Yeah. yeah. And I know, and I knew this as an evangelical pastor, that what's called relational apologetics is just exceedingly more effective than trying to hit somebody over the head right. with truth, so to speak. But that book that you wrote, Crossing the Tiber, to me is an example to us all, because if I'm not mistaken, 
rather than telling your parents, I found the truth, you know, you're lost and this and that, but you thank them for your yeah. Baptist upbringing and the foundation that they gave you in a very positive sense. I think, you know, we're coming up on the holidays here. Yeah. Instead of having a lot of arguments, I think the tact that you took is, uh, it took me a while to get here, but I think you're on the right right I, path. I am by nature very competitive type A personality. I love a good argument and I love jumping right into it. And my family knows that. Um, but with my mom and dad, they were so good to me. And when I became Catholic, even before when they even found out I was reading Catholic books, my dad got so angry and he says, you must be backslidden and living in sin to even think about such things. You know, the veins popped out of his neck. And I, I just told you how my dad had sacrificed right. for us kids. Right. He was right. always my best friend. And the last thing in the world I wanted to do was grieve my parents. And yet I knew that by becoming Catholic, I discovered the fullness of the faith. That's something they had been taught from the very first days of being their new Baptist faith. They found that the Catholics were all going to hell. That was, And so I, I knew how grieved they were. So I, I sat down and I started writing a letter. And it started out with, Dear Mom and Dad, you're the best parents in the world and I owe you an explanation. And I started typing and typing that letter to them. And it has a lot of footnotes because I was quoting people like Polycarp and Ignatius that they never heard of. But right. why would they care about Ignatius or Polycarp? Well, mom and dad, because before there was even a New Testament, Polycarp and Ignatius were teaching the Christian faith. And it was Catholic, mom and dad. Look at what they said in the first century. And I'd have to put footnotes down there mm -hmm. to so they would understand why, just in case they cared why Polycarp or Ignatius or Justin Martyr was important. That's why the book is loaded with footnotes. But it was really just a love letter to my parents. And because it was a positive thing, it has resonated with thousands of people. And many, I, I get letters all the time, people, they became Catholic because of that book. But because it wasn't combative, it was more of a ironic, loving letter I wrote to my parents. Sure. Back to kids. Yeah. Now, Okay, you didn't reject your evangelical inheritance, and everyone knows that evangelicals love the Bible. Right. So did you leave the Bible at the doorstep as you entered the Catholic <laughs> Church, or how did you as a Catholic dad uh, view Scripture with your children? I loved the Bible since I was a little boy. Since seven years old, we had to say Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st Samuel, 1st St. Kings, 1st St. Chronicles, Ezra, Neo, Isaiah, Job, Psalm, Proz, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, Nehemiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the books of the Old Testament. I can do the new ones too. But we had to learn that since seven years old and memorize verses. And when I became Catholic, I loved the Bible more, a hundred times more, because I, it was like I had one big window in the room. But when I became Catholic, and especially with Scripture, it was like all the other four walls blew out and all of a sudden light was coming in from everywhere. And since then, I've become, the whole idea of the typology and the depth of Old and New Testament together, and now I've done a whole series of documentaries on location, the whole story of the Bible in Israel. and So the whole Bible became more exciting and fun to me as a Catholic than it ever had as a Protestant. And the kids picked up on that. The kids all understood that because that's what we talked about at the dinner table. That's another thing. What do you talk about at the dinner table? And do you have dinner together? That's always... Right. These are all important things. I, I, I would say one thing, too, about those who who have not had success with their kids. And they're saying, well, Steve Ray, you're lucky, or you we didn't think like you did. Now what do we do? We've got kids that fell away from the faith. What do we do now? I always suggest that they say, you know what? I made mistakes. We all do. 
Well, you started of out course. by saying I have a father who made mistakes, and I concur. Yes. Say today's a brand new day. I'm starting all over again. A lot of times what I suggest is people do what I did and write a letter to their kids and just let them know. Yeah. Because if you try to talk to them, say Christmas is coming and you're saying, you know, kids, I made a big mistake. I want you to be Catholic. The kids are going to they're going to it's it's they're going to push back. It's not the right way to do it. Yeah. But if you sit down and you take a month to write a letter simple and just say, I love you. I still remember the day you were born and the joy that filled our hearts. I made mistakes in raising you. I wish I'd have done differently. And I want today to be a start a whole brand new relationship with you. I'm going to be very humble about this. I apologize. Would you be willing to start all over again with me? And I think it would have a huge impact on I, I do too because – Kids can sense humility a yep. few blocks away. Yep. And, and it and by doing it in a letter, they don't have to respond instantly to you. They have mm-hmm. time to think about it and respond slowly. And maybe they'll be angry at the letter at first or they'll be hurt by it at first. But over time, I think it will give them a chance to mull it over and digest it so that when you do have a conversation and then you, the parent can say – you know, I did make mistakes. My kids did leave the faith, but I'm going to start all over today. It's a brand new day, and I'm going to ask the kids if we can start over again and apologize for what happened, make amends for it, and let's start a new relationship. And do it by letter because it's uh, I think it's easier for kids to digest that. Okay. Um, one of the things that struck me is the first time I met you face-to-face, we had corresponded. See, we had dinner with uh, Al Cresta, yourself, our wives together, and one of your daughters came along. And before dessert came, she said, you're going to have to excuse me because I have to go to work. And I think it was Friday night, if I'm not mistaken. It really struck me. And, you know, we always want to give our kids everything because it's nice to do. Sometimes we don't give them the gift of responsibility and work. You obviously did. And as I say, to this day, that's the thing I remember from our dinner together, other than we were Jesus freaks before we became Catholics. So tell us about, you know, instilling responsibility and work, because part of that discipline a disciple is one who is disciplined by the Lord, right, but right. it starts with dad and mom. I, I wanted I, – I, we had a unique situation. I started a business when I got married, my wife and I started a janitorial company. That's all I knew how to do. I did it during high school. And so when I got out of high school, I made homemade business cards, bought a mop bucket and a ring at a garage sale, and I started a business. And then as we grew, it grew up to be, by the way, $12 million a year, and I had 600 employees. But – my kids, we homeschooled, so they worked in the business with us. They had to spend at least one day a week in our business working. And so that daughter was Cindy. She's the oldest. And she was actually, by the time she was 15, she was in charge of purchasing. And she, a million dollars a year worth of supplies. And the guy, the salesman would come in and say, I need to talk to you. I said, if you want to sell to this company, you got to talk to her. She said, she's just a kid. I said, I know. But She's tougher than you are. Go see. And so all the my son, Jesse, he fixed all the equipment. He did all that. And so by the time they're 12 years old, I said, you have to pay for everything yourself. I'm not going to buy you anything anymore. I'm making a way for you to make good money. I had them all get a credit card and a checking account. They had to use their credit card for everything, pay it off at the end of the month, and I monitored it. By the time they were 20 years old, they were getting letters. Would you like a mortgage on a house? Because they had built that 
financial. And I didn't buy things for them. I made them buy things for themselves so they understood the value of money and mm-hmm. so on. So by the time they were 25, all of them owned their own homes they, with their own signature because they had earned, learned how to build up credit and to work hard and to be responsible. And I've never, never once has any of them come and ask me for a dime. Interesting. Yep. That's, well, a, that's a dad's job is to teach his children yes. how to live in the real yes. world. Yes, and the rabbis used to teach that <laughs> way back in the Old Testament <laughs> that did. you were teaching your son to be a thief if you didn't that's teach right. him how to work with his hands and do something uh, responsible. The other thing today, and I don't want to bash anybody, but I think it's really important what we expose our children to. Mm. And I'm not talking about um, MTV and stuff. I'm talking about there's some parishes that funny business or bad stuff's going on. And what is it worth to try to get your children in a parish that just not perfect, but exemplifies what the Catholic faith is all about. Right. I think it's very important, and we were talking earlier about voting with your feet. That you. Yes. I gave you two examples. I have a relative who went to a parish that was very liberal, just, and all his kids left. Then I have another family member, actually my daughter, who goes to Christ the King in Ann Arbor. Right. And they have youth ministries, and they have Life Teen, and they have all kinds of wonderful things. And I'm watching my grandkids grow up in that. And I just saw a picture my daughter sent me of them with these T-shirts from this camp they went to. And she said, I'm so grateful that they have prayer meetings in the camp and Bible studies, and it's all Catholic, and they're just growing in the faith. And now that one grandson just went and spent a weekend at a, a vocations with to see if he wants to be a priest. And he just asked me to buy him a software program, Verbum, that we buy. I just okay. bought it for him. So these these kids are growing up to love the faith, but it has a lot to do not only with their, my daughter and her family, but with the parish that they go to because they have sports and they have Bible studies and they have youth things that they do together. And these kids are growing up loving the faith, both because of family and church. And they could have gone to another church closer, but they wouldn't have had that experience. They went to a exactly. parish that really emphasizes the grace of God and the personal relationship with Jesus, the sacraments the Bible study, all these things. And these kids are growing up really devout Catholics. Well, this would be a question, too, very similar to what your dad ran into, whether or not he was going to take a promotion or whatever, is that how many families decide on a promotion or a job opportunity with the availability of solid Catholic life that they can expose their children to? Very often it's like, well, choose where the money goes. Yeah. And I'm not a socialist by any means, but but without factoring in what kind of spiritual resources are there for your children. If right. you're homeschooling, is there a good homeschooling group or right. you want to do right. a traditional Catholic school, a good school? What about you're saying the parish life and the yep. youth ministry, all this type of thing. It's really important to factor that in. And it is and who's at the center of it? The dad. That's why you've got dads.org. I love that. Dads have to pull their pants up and be dads in the family. If your kids are going to a Catholic school, you better darn well be over there making sure they're really 
teaching them Catholic things. If they're in a homeschool, you better be there supporting the whole thing and be involved in it. No matter where your kids go to school or how you live your life, the dad is the one who is supposed to be monitoring, helping, teach. He's the primary teacher in the family, no matter who else, CCD teacher, school. Correct. The dad is the primary teacher. And if the dad sees it's not being done right, he has to go confront someone and he has to pull his kids out and put them somewhere else if it's not being done right. So this is all, uh, our job is important. We need to make money for the family. Dads have a big juggling match, don't they? I mean, they're juggling career and family and church and all these Mm -hmm. other things. And you got to keep the priorities straight. All right. Well, we only have two or three minutes left, but you're involved in something really important to help prevent youth from falling away from their faith. And so uh, I'm just going to give the mic to you and explain what you're doing. Well, it's it's a new idea, the inheritancepilgrimage.org. That's the website, inheritancepilgrimage.org. The Jews do this much better than we Catholics do. They send 50,000 young Jewish uh, college students from the United States to Israel every year, and they teach them their birthright. It's called birthright. They take them over there for free. They have rich Jewish donors. They take 50,000 of them over there. I see them when I'm there. I take seven groups a year myself. I see the buses of these young yes. people. They're learning their Jewish birthright. Why don't we Catholics do that? So my son and I said, let's start inheritance pilgrimages. So what we're doing is we have our first bus full of college students from Ave Maria University in Florida. A bus full. A bus full. 45 kids and some adult chaperones. Three of my grandkids are going on that trip, and they're going to Israel with us. And it's going to be very inexpensive. We're not staying at the luxury hotels I do with my groups. We're not having wine with dinner. We're going to just, we're going to have a good time. I want those kids to be immersed in the Bible, in the land, and one day of service. They're going to go to Bethlehem and help the families and the Christian schools there and spend a day serving the local Christians. Okay. And it's going to be where they go over there in their, but after 18 years old. And I think that if we immerse them in their inheritance, when they come back, they're not going to leave the faith. Parents are willing to spend $100,000 or more to send their kids to a university where they're going to walk away losing their faith, spend $4,000, send them with us, and they'll never lose their faith once they get immersed in their inheritance as Catholics in the land. Because many kids are have the idea that the gospel is, once upon a time, in a land far away, there was right. Jesus I want to take them there and say, look at buddies, this is real. This is worth dying for. I'm going to take you for seven days in this land, and I'm going to show you where Jesus died, where he rose again. And you can touch the land, but the land is also going to reach up and grab you. And when you come home, I want you to be ready to be a martyr for Jesus Christ now that you know the truth. This sounds excellent. What's the uh, website again? Inheritance Pilgrimage. Or pilgrimages. I'm not sure which one. Inheritance pilgrimage or pilgrimages. Okay. Or, or you can just email us at askthehost at gmail.com. We'll get you in touch. This sounds like uh, an incredible experience. And I like your analogy, too, because even if they're going to a Catholic university, this is worth a year. And I'm not talking about a class a week in theology. I'm talking about all classes in theology and Bible going to the Holy Land is something else, yep. and it will uh, change them. You know, it, it'll change them fundamentally, indelible mark on their soul that they can never erase. Excellent. Steve Ray, thank you so much for being with us. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family.
Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.